It's pretty obvious now that jazz, which may have been quiet for a while, is on its way back. That is, many of the young people who didn't know about jazz are discovering it now, and the audiences are uh, quite exciting these days. We'll hear about this from two of the most incredible jazz artists in the country, each of whom is quite good in his, her own way. Mary McPartland and Jimmy McPartland. Marion, of course, the piano virtuoso, and uh, her thoughts perhaps also about women and jazz and her special province, but also the jazz artists. And Jimmy McPartland and his horn, what is there to say but Jimmy blows the McPartland way? My interests are very diversified. Uh, very Mr. diversified indeed. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to hear some of their recordings, more about you, your thoughts, as well as your music after this message. I was thinking, I can't give anything but love, baby. Jimmy would part on you and your colleagues. Where was this? This was the Americana Hotel in New York a couple of years ago. It's Buddy Tate and the clarinet he played there. And there. Buddy Tate and the Vic Dickinson. Vic Dickinson, trombone, trombone. Girl by the name of Marion McPartland on the piano. And, of course, Marion was there. I was thinking, Marion and Jimmy, you were playing, this is interesting, the plaza, they were dancers. You were playing people dancing. That's right. Yeah. Now, for a long time... You know, jazz and dancing were connected for many years. The bands, when you first heard the black bands come up, sure. when you were a kid going to Austin High, and people would dance, wouldn't they? And later on, it became the cerebral kind of stuff, you know. You're not supposed good to, to dance. You have to yeah. sit and listen, yeah. you know, with your head in your hands. Mm -hmm. Well, the modern uh, people, because they, their rhythms were so complicated, I would think, that people couldn't feel that rhythm that they were playing, you know, like Charlie Parker and Dizzy and uh, Miles and those guys. So I imagine they didn't feel that rhythm behind there that makes you want to bounce and, and dance around. It's That's funny, I don't know how true this is, but somebody said to me, uh, a girl said, uh, I think this is why a lot of us liked rock music, because it had a beat and something we could understand and move to, and the, we, the jazz people lost out because uh, they were very kind of condescending and you were supposed to listen and you didn't necessarily Back know the Back to tune. the audience. Yeah, in other words, back to the audience and and uh, sort of uh, treating the audience as if they were beneath them. Something you could move to. Marion used the phrase, Jimmy. Very good. Something Your body you wants to move. Move to. Yeah. And the word move. Right. I think it's I mean, even if you're sitting in the club mm. and you just can't stand it, you just have to yeah. wriggle a little. Don't you I think mean, it's a sort that. of a sensual intonation mm. there? I beg your pardon, sir. Well, you'll learn those big words when you grow up. <laughs> Stop being so erudite using words like mayonnaise. Listen, my you know. pal, little Louie here, we had crying night. Years ago, the reference that Jimmy makes to a radio show in the pre-TV days, we did a radio program called Lullaby for Louie. It was in rhyme. It was, do it was in doggerel, and Jimmy would play that horn so beautiful. But the thing that's astonishing, Marion, uh, there was a beautiful piece in The New Yorker by Whitney Valiant about Jimmy's 70th birthday. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jimmy playing today, how, I'm not going to ask, you this, Jimmy. Marion, how would you explain Jimmy's remarkable vitality now playing the horn as he does? I don't know. He's just lazy. He just lays <laughs> around. I think that's the answer. You I know. swim every day. Um, no, he actually takes good care of himself. And he, he practices every day and he had some, something done to his teeth, you know, which are all his own. And uh, But he had something done which improved his embouchure and he actually is playing better than he used to a few yeah. years ago. Uh, you know, when people say, how can a guy 71 start to improve? But why not? He is. Yeah. He has improved. It's my life. It's just like you. You it's practice. See, you're not 71. Yeah. You practice every day. I practice already an hour this morning. When I go back I'll, to the hotel before we work tonight, I'll sort of blow gently and easily for about another hour or two. Just and drink tea. I drink tea. 
gently and easily. We come again to Jimmy's, if the hallmarks of Jimmy is that gentle, easy, and yet that vitality says, as he very opening of, yeah, I came to love it there, he put the mute and the horn. Some of the feeling you had is of a flow. I love that mute. I love it when he plays in that mute. I would like that all the time. You know, there's something about that sound. He changes his style when he plays with that mute. It's a funny thing. He does different things. Before I ask you, Marion, about the piano and your whole approach, and what you've done, by the way, for the piano also for a key subject of women in jazz, uh, but I can't get any but love also is reminiscent of someone you knew who played at your home one day, Louis Armstrong. We think of his I Can't Give You Anything. And... uh, he, he was playing at your house one day, and your mother. Well, this was years ago. This years, years ago, he was. I think he was at the Sunset Cafe then, down on the South Side, Thirty Fifth and State. And uh, my mother says, "Oh, she loved the record that Louis made. I can't give you anything but love, you know." And she's, "Oh, please, she said, could you think you could have him come, come out to dinner? I'd love to meet him. You boys love him so much, my brother and I." So I said, "Well, ask him." So we used to go practically every night to hear Louis at the Sunset your Cafe. Your brother played bass. My my brother, yeah. Richard, guitar. A guitar. My brother-in-law, Jim Lanigan. Jim bass. Lanigan played bass. That's right. I'm see him tomorrow. So anyway, I asked Louie, I said, my mother just loves you, Louie, and this can't give you anything but love. Would you please come out to dinner? She'll cook a nice leg of lamb or something like that. She's sure. So I had an old Rio, and I picked him up. A Rio. A Rio. That, that tells you when this was, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were playing at White City with the Austin High School gang. Husker Harris Wolverines under the direction well, of Jim Well, how old were you guys? About 20? Yeah. 21. So we're talking about 18, 19, 19, 20. So years we're old. talking about uh, 50 years ago. Yeah. 50 some years That's ago. That's right. Yeah. And so Louis is sure. So I picked him up on the old reel and brought him down and we me out to the house. And my mother put on the record, I can't give you anything but love, you know, before dinner. And, and she was telling him how much she loved it. And he sang it right along with the records, you know, or filled in also. It must have been the thrill of her life. Oh, she loved it. You know what's yeah. interesting, Mary? I'm thinking. Uh, the recollection of Jimmy, and this was some 52, 53 years ago, perhaps even more, the recollection, the vividness of the moment. And so oh, yeah. This also is an aspect of certain moments in jazz. And you, of course, have so many from England. You originally... Here's this very respectable young English girl. Very. Heard, and how did you come to jazz? Soul of rectitude. I don't know. It just happened through a, uh, uh, having somebody bring over a bunch of, bunch of records, and I started listening to, to Duke Ellington and uh, Louis, of course, Mary Lou Williams, Hazel Scott, Teddy Wilson, you name it, Art Tatum, I had them all. And it, it, was, it was one of these, the first, I mean, the f- first phonograph was one of those wind-up ones, and that'll tell you how long ago that was. But uh, then we got a better one, and I sat down to the piano, and I would play things by Teddy Wilson and try to copy them. I she think has we a all fabulous did that. And now, of course, but of course, you never uh, could. But at least you'd get an approximation. And now, of course, Marion's own style. Now it's it was McPartland. There is a McPartland style, isn't there? I don't. Jimmy know. has a, has a style. I don't yeah. think I have a style because I can't sit still. I I want to keep moving and changing things. You know, I I in a way having a style uh, is definite. To say somebody like Errol Garner, it really puts you in a box. You can't go mm. anywhere because if you if you change it, somebody says. Boy, he doesn't sound like Errol Garner anymore. So you have to stay with it. So ah, so y- you're continuously then open. Yeah, to because new influences I don't and to feelings. Yeah, because I want to. Stay. I think Marion has a rubber band mind musically. <laughs> she stretches. She yeah. goes all all out. For instance, she did the with Chicago Symphony here. I've been trying to get her to do it for thirty years, or twenty five, to play concert, Thank you, play James. A, play a concerto, you know, piano concerto, and show her 
her fullness, her roundness in, in music, and she did the Greek's piano concerto in A minor here in Chicago uh, Symphony and the Rochester Symphony. No, wait, 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 not with the Chicago Symphony. The Chicago, Chicago Civic. Civic. Yeah. Uh, orchestra. S since we're talking about you, we should hear your piano. This is uh, your friend, of course, that marvelous composer, Alec Wilder. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite pieces. While We're Young. Mm -hmm. And then your thoughts about it as you hear it. Okay. Marion, I was thinking, well, what you do to Alec Wilder's tomb. <laughs> this is what you were talking about earlier. That you have no, that I suppose each piece you approach is as though it were fresh. I mean, there is no one, so therefore you're not labeled no because okay. like listening to that well, I did that about four years ago I don't play that tune the same way anymore um, I mean occasionally somebody will complain <laughs> or it doesn't sound or say that, well it doesn't sound anything like the record they're talking about things I did years ago at the Hickory House well, of course it doesn't you know it's, it's a compliment 15 20 years ago and I can't play the way I played then or five years ago or five days ago five minutes ago well, it doesn't change that fast, but yes, uh, it does. But it's, it changes every few months or so. I've never heard you play a number the same way twice. It's always <laughs> different, and that's what keeps interesting to me, anyway, yeah. musically. It's always refreshing. I never know what the hell she's going to do. Yeah. Sometimes I don't know either. Yeah. But this this was four years ago. Now, how would this have been different today? Well, I've got a different bass player, and uh, Brian Toff. He's very, very good. And sometimes the, the people that play with you <coughs> influence you in another direction. But also I would change key and maybe mm. I would do it at a slower tempo or use different uh, uh, ideas in the middle part. Yeah. And then I've got a, like a big ending, which uh, I sometimes do in yeah. clubs. But then I, I even yeah. got sick of the big ending and I said, oh, the heck with that. And then I went back to a small ending again. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's the freshness. Because uh, talking about influences, <laughs> sometimes the associate, we come to Jimmy, we can't associate Jimmy from his very beginnings, and of course your, your mentor, very beginning, Bix. And In a Mist, we hear you in a, in a Mist. This is a special Bix number, was a Beiderbeck number, wasn't it? Yes, it was a piano uh, solo that he was, uh, actually when he was with Paul Whiteman at the Chicago Theater there in about 1920, uh, what? 20-something, early 20s, and uh, and uh, Bix was with Paul Whiteman, Jimmy Dorsey, Tommy Dorsey, Bing Crosby. We used to have jam sessions over there at the Three Deuces in between shows, and um, Bix, whenever I'd come around, he'd always say to me, here, kid, you play that cornet. He said, I'd, I'd rather play the piano, and he'd get on the piano. After the jam session was over and so forth, we'd sit there, and he's, one day he says, hey, kid, never call me Jimmy. He's always yeah, kid. Yeah. And... Uh, and he said, I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm composing a new tune. I call it In a Mist, you know, where am I? And so he, he had a lot of different, he had more uh, segments, what do you call it again? Movements, movements to parts In a Mist. Parts to it, different parts. More to different it. parts to it. But you in those days, you could only record two minutes and 49, 59 seconds or something like that. So he had a lot of other different um, movements in there, but they were never recorded. But in a mist, now I, the Benny Goodman and I studied with Paul Hell to arrange for a symphony orchestra down the Kimball Building here in that era before we went to New York. And we, after we two years of study and we made a few arrangements, we said, forget it. We don't want to be, these arrangements. It's too boring. You know, you want to get out and play or just play. 
So I got to New York and Bix called with Pollock Band. Bix called me one day and says, "Come on, Kitty says I got two tickets for the Carnegie Hall of Symphony, the Stravinsky and uh, Ravel, and we loved Ravel and Stravinsky." So we went to hear that, and then after the uh, concert was over, I said, I said to Bix, "I said, Bix, I just got through studying to arrange for symphony, and I can hear the instrumentation I'd love to arrange for In a Mist with an oboe and a bassoon in there to give it the color." You know, in a mist, where the heck am I, you know? He says, that's a good idea. I said, I, I think it's great. I said, another thing, I said, why the heck don't you write a jazz symphony? I said, we should, jazz should be in symphony orchestras. And then you could have the background of the symphony orchestra, have a soloist play a, uh, <coughs> a solo with that lovely background. And then some rhythm, was, you know, mm -hmm. get a good rhythm section. He thought that was a good idea, too, you know. So what happened was when we uh, got this commitment to from Bob Thiel to do the uh, Inner Mist, or Big Spiderbeck numbers, or Shades of Bix it was called, the album, why uh, I said, gosh darn it, Dick Carey, I said, I, I outlined the whole thing, mm -hmm. the orchestrating is the tough part of it, and that instrumentation and what movements and how, you know, change of tempos, et cetera. So that's how we did this in a mist, on, um, and I wanted Marion to play yeah, it. Fifty years after you spoke to Bix, I like the idea you did it. About some half a it's century. It's funny. Later. He really yeah. had this yeah. idea in his mind all these years that's about having. It, yeah. He really did about having yeah. the, the the bass clarinet, yeah. oboe, French horn, and and he got it. He got his wish so because it turned you, out. Marion, you're here at the piano. Yes. You're here at the piano, and so in a mist. Yeah. In a mist, uh, Bix would have liked that, I imagine. Yeah, he thought it was a good idea. He never got yeah. a chance to hear it. I, but I to hear it, but I think he's listening anyway. You know, Marion, here Marion's piano there, reflections of Gershwin were there. The, here again, Marion's free, free for, free, not free for, free freedom of feeling. There was a touch of that there, wasn't there? It's funny, I kind of paraphrased the music a little bit. I was listening to what I was doing, and, and I was kind of cutting corners a little bit. I, I Although that was in the arrangement, actually, Dick had it arranged that way, that there would be this little solo piano part, mm -hmm. and then the orchestra would come in. I love it. While it was playing, I was I was thinking in my mind that I'm going to have that arrangement taken off and f do it with a symphony orchestra. Mm -hmm. Ooh, and I was yeah. just figuring out how I'd have the strings come in behind mm -hmm. some of those piano parts. Louis Armstrong liked this, didn't he? Uh, the, the, I'm talking about your album. Uh, the, the, Shades the Shades of Bix, of Bix album. <coughs> it's just been released a, few, a couple By months ago. Why do uh, that? Uh, Shades of Bix. MCA. MCA, like Marion's own label. Halcyon yeah. has those marvelous Alec Wilder tunes. Yeah. And, but uh, that Shades of Bix, I, I was yeah. playing a concert with Louis Armstrong. Oh, this is about four or five years before he passed away. And uh, we, my band and Louis' band, you know, he was naturally the big deal. But we got in the dressing room after the concert, and, um, and uh, Louis says to me, he says, Hey, McPartland. He always called me yeah. McPartland. 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 Mm -hmm. He says to me, he says, you know, he says, Mac, he says, I've been, been listening to that uh, Shades of Bix album you made. He says, I've been playing it over and over. And he says, you, you know, it's a bitch. <laughs> it's a bitch. It's a great imitation of Armstrong. Well, that's yeah, a that's big compliment, yes. man. I mean, you know, because I was always in awe yeah. of Louis. Yeah, so, but that, that was the greatest compliment I you ever know, got. From. My guests, in case you don't know it, are Marion and Jimmy McPartland, and who are quite marvelous, and Larry Stallworth's the whole world of jazz. We, we'll take a slight pause now for a message, and we'll return with Marion and Jimmy McPartland and more of their music and reflections.
So resuming, resuming with the McPartlands, Marion and Jimmy, and uh, I'm thinking of all the colleagues you've worked with. Buddy Tate, you hit Buddy recently. Polka Dots and Moonbeams. Mm -hmm. Is that his number? Well, yeah. not his. Yeah, yeah. Well, he plays Comedy the solo on yeah. the thing there at the Americana. Yeah. This is on the Halcyon uh, yeah. Swing. This is Marion's label, Halcyon. Yes. Yeah. He'll be there. He follows us in, by the way, next week. So what, what can we say but just hear this and then... Buddy's a, a master of, of ballad playing. He he can take a ballad and, and to me, make it very sensuous sounding. And he he does marvelous things with the melody. In fact, he doesn't really start out with a melody, as you will hear. Mercurial tone. I beg your pardon. Mercurial. Oh. Mercury. Oh. It flows gently. Yes, Thank you. There again, Buddy Tate and the dancers. Uh, what is gracious about Mary and Jimmy McPartland is your generosity as far as the other artists are concerned, you know, that you're open and continuous. This is, but this has to be, doesn't it, in jazz? This oh, sure, everybody be. wants to play. You know, you can't cut somebody off. Um, everybody wants their share of the, uh, take take a few choruses and... Uh, to express themselves, I would No, as I do. Uh, it's funny, sometimes in a jam session, the rhythm section will be playing and about 10 saxophone players will follow each other and it'll all take 95 choruses, and then they want to take the tune out. They forget all about the piano player and the bass player and the drummer. And I remember doing this once with Milt Hinton, and he he, he hollered out, hey man, what about me? What about Marion? <laughs> yeah. You know, he was mad. So then, Chicago. So then the sax player turned around and graciously gave us each a couple of choruses. Well, I love to hear musicians play, the young guys, the old guys, any age. Well, since you mention any age, there's one of Marion and Joe Venuti. I don't know, Venuti and the Fiddle. Was he the first jazz violinist? As far as I'm heard? concerned, first I ever heard on records when we were the Austin High School gang there in about 1922, 23, 24, with uh, Eddie Lang on guitar. Mm -hmm. And man, what a great musician, Joe Venuti. He's all around. We never thought of, you know, for years, the fiddle. Never thought of it as a jazz instrument. He made it. A j he and along came Grappelli, of course, and Stuff Smith and Eddie South. Right. But Joe was the first, was he? Yeah. First to record. But it's funny, I, record, I used to yeah. listen to Grappelli in England. Maybe I'm wrong about how, how old he is, he, because he used to be with the with the, the jazz quintet, the hot club. You're talking about Grappelli now? Yes, I'm yeah. talking about Grappelli in 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 Paris, and we used to get this on shortwave or something on the BBC. I used to Django listen avidly to this with Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli. He was the most elegant-sounding yeah. violinist. Yeah. He's different from Joe. Joe yeah. is more kind of... Growly and rough and tough, and you know, and he and he digs into the fiddle like he's going to cut through the strings. Well, we hear then you and Joe, you and Vanuti. Yeah, it was a surprise. How a high the moon. surprise, just the two of us. That last part, uh, uh, Joe Vanuti and Marion McPartland. And by the case people may wonder, that's that's Halcyon as the label, it's Marion's label, and that's this is called the Maestro and Friend. Right. Am I and allowed to give the address? Sure. Or is that improper? Because sometimes people say, where can we write for a catalog to that record company? And they can write to Box 4255, Grand Central Station, New York City, Halcyon, H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. Well, don't the record stores have it here? Do yeah, they should, but but sometimes people get frustrated. Right. I get all kinds yeah. of letters. We yeah. can't find your records anywhere. And Jimmy and, Oz, and there's Alec Wilder, is, that's Halcyon too. Yes. And Jimmy's on Improv. And then the shades of he's pixels. also on MCA. He's a, a sort of up. One more wilder. I'll be around. Oh, this is my favorite. I think this is one of the most poignant tunes. Also very masochistic. You know, I mean, who wants to be around if the guy doesn't 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 want you anymore? 
the heck with it. Go and look for somebody else. Start over again. But, you know, one... Remember, and I haven't asked you one before you forget uh, the subject. You're working on the subject now of women and jazz. About yes. Now, this is... For years, we've had certain individual women, whether Mary Lou Williams right. and others, or Hazel Scott, for that matter, mm -hmm. uh, women in jazz, mm. or, or Marge Hyams. Yes, here in Chicago. Now, more and more now, they're women groups, aren't they, in jazz? Oh, yeah. But not only that, they're individual w women playing instruments years ago it was thought unladylike or not right for a woman to be playing a trumpet you know it was sort of unfeminine and and uh, uh, Mary Lou said that a lot of people didn't play the, in the instrument because of the way they looked they were worried about looking looking ugly and that you can't think about those things when you're playing you can't be wor worried about the expression on your face and looking nice never asked about stuff. a man is it no they never they never wor worry if a guy is, is smiling or looking quote nice you know but women uh to see a woman playing a trombone i mean she can't worry about about looking feminine while she's playing that you've had a number of groups on television i know on on today and on some of the programs you've had groups so this is happening, is it not? Women oh, yeah. and brass instruments as well. Oh, yeah, as and in, in college and school bands, and I've heard some girls that are fabulous. And there's no more this sort of strange attitude of, well, it's okay for a girl to play the harp or the piano, but she can't play the trumpet. And they're all being absorbed into the band. In fact, somebody told me they saw Harry James on television, and he had a girl on baritone sax, and that she was fabulous. Yeah. But the thing is, nobody sort of said, "Hey, look, there's a girl on baritone." I mean, he just treated her like yeah. one of the gang, which was, which is yeah. the way all the women want to be treated as musicians. Period. And so, good enough. And so, in uh, I'll be around, McPartland, a wilder piece. Okay. The meditative and contemplative. I'll be around. Wow. <laughs> I thought I thought Jimmy would like You've that. You've got to, yeah. The, the it's nice to hear you use them big words. You know, it be, would be a good sign-off, go off with Jimmy and Marion and the Monticello concert. Royal Garden, which goes back again to Chicago. Well, that's Chicago. It used to be the Royal Gardens, and then King Oliver and Louis Armstrong come in from New Orleans, and they called it the Lincoln Gardens. And that's it. It's true. So let's end with this. We'll, be, we'll fade off on this, probably. Okay. But uh, Marion McPartland, Jimmy McPartland. Okay.